0: So it's what, July? And for me, that would mean my 20th year going to Las Vegas for Hacker Summer Camp, for B-Sides Las Vegas, for Black Hat, and of course, DEF CON. Except I'm not going this year. No one is. Because of COVID-19, B-Sides Las Vegas is canceled, Black Hat is online, and DEF CON, also online, is in safe mode, a clever play on an operating system in diagnostic mode. That means the annual DEFCON Capture the Flag competition, the World Cup of Hacking, is also online. And last year's defending champion, PPP, aka the Plaid Parliament opponent, will also have to compete online. Why wouldn't they? PPP has won five of the last seven years. Given their amazing record, you're probably wondering just who are these super elite hackers and what mad skills does one have to possess to be on their team? And how has COVID-19 changed anything? Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this week, I'm celebrating a virtual Hacker Summer Camp 2020 with an inside look at the number one Capture the Flag team in the world today, PPP. PPP. EPP is a competitive hacking team out of Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh and was formed around 2009 under the direction of Dr. David Brumley. It was created because one of Brumley's students wanted to compete in a capture-the-flag competition. But rather than look outside for talent, they formed the team internally at CMU. So, right there, it seems that to join PPP, you need to be a student at CMU. That also means you have to start early. You have to get good grades in high school. And I suppose you should have already been exposed to computer hacking at an early age.
1: Back in middle school, I was fortunate enough to be in a, I guess it was a magnet program, like a STEM program.
0: This is a tech. For her, computers have been a way of life since she was a pre and it really helped that her school that she attended had a pathway for her to develop her computer science skills and a teacher who recognized that potential early on.
1: I had a lot of experience doing CS tech stuff for a while. So by the time I got to high school, I kind of felt very on top of like a lot of tech stuff. And I kind of wanted to expand out and explore more. My computer science teacher at the time was very encouraging, I guess, to kind of try different things. And so he found this competition called Seesaw HSF, which is high school forensics. Essentially, he was like, you should go try that. And I like, looked at it and I was like, oh, it's hacking stuff. You know, that sounds pretty cool.
0: Seesaw is a well established capture the flag competition in New York and bills itself as the largest, most comprehensive student run cybersecurity event in the world, featuring nine individual hacking competitions, including Capture the Flags. It is held conveniently over the course of one weekend.
1: It was just like, I don't really know how to hack. Like, I know how to, like, do basic programming, you know, since I've had, like, some experience in it. But at the time, I was just, like, you know, as cool as it sounds, I had no idea, like, what I'm getting myself into. I think he assigned, like, some seniors to work on it, but they quickly lost interest. So I ended up just kind of, like, doing it by myself. The way that this competition was structured was kind of, like, a crime scene sort of thing. So they had, like, this storyline. Like, I think it was a play on, like, Jersey Shore, like, like Snooki or one of the other characters. I have no idea. I, want, I don't watch these TV shows. like got killed and like someone else was like being framed and uh, you had to figure out like what was going on. And it's so, like there was like some USB drive that was encrypted that they found. And then so that's like the only clue that you get. So like you would have to go and like figure out, first of all, it's encrypted and then decrypted. And then uh, maybe there's like a file in there that is also encrypted and then you have to decrypt that as well. Maybe there's like steganography in the image. And like, I just found it very fascinating that it you kind of had to figure things out for yourself. And it was always like, A puzzle kind of that you had to piece together. And it was just so much fun.
0: That does sound like fun. Kind of like reading a good mystery, except you are the main character trying to figure out all the clues.
1: And my CS teacher, every single day, he he, uh, would recount to me later on that he was like, every single day you were coming in with like a sparkle in your eyes telling me like the latest things that you were finding. But I was kind of hooked from there.
0: Zuratek wasn't alone in solving these puzzles. Remember, she attended an advanced high school full of smart kids.
1: During high school, I found some other folks that were also like interested in this stuff and like played a lot of different, mostly I think forensics type competitions, but sometimes we would go more into CTFs, which were more like varied in, in terms of like the Different types of uh, challenges that you would face. So it wasn't just forensics, it was other stuff. And we did like pretty well in them. And then so by the time I started thinking about, okay, well, I need to go to college at one of these seesaw final competitions in New York City, I saw that there was this team called PPP that was just absolutely demolishing everyone. So as uh, a high schooler, you know, trying to figure out like where I want to go, uh, I think at that time I kind of like did some digging. And then between that, experience like seeing them just just absolutely doing like amazing and then also just dabbling a little bit in pico ctf i was like oh okay cmu is a good place to go because this team like does so well at this thing that i'm really interested in
0: pico ctf is a smaller online ctf run by cmu it's designed for high school students like Zoratec.
1: that's essentially like how i got into PVP. i Decided I want to go to CMU, I applied, and I got in, and I was like, hello.
0: <laughs> so, as a freshman college student, Zoratek just walked up and joined PPP, a team that had just won the CTF at DEF CON the previous year. Okay, maybe it's a bit harder than that.
1: It's been so long, but I'm pretty sure as soon as I showed up to college, I like tried to figure out where to go to these PPP meetings, and like as soon as I could, I started going to them.
0: Wait, so PPP was like underground
1: so no not underground usually the way that they would advertise them for the freshmen that are coming in is they would put out like flyers with like a little ice cream social thing so they draw people in with the ice cream social and then they we kind of like socialize and talk about the ctf and then from there most of the means i think are just like normal ctf stuff and like solving problems i think but i either found one of those flyers or i i did some digging on, like, I don't know, one of the many Facebook groups that CMU had at that time uh, and, like, found out information. They hang out in... Uh Scilab, the cybersecurity lab, we're fortunate enough to usually be given like a meeting room or something from them.
0: Scilab is one of the largest university-based cybersecurity research and education institutes in the world, and it's based out of CMU. It includes more than 50 faculty and 100 graduate students from different departments and schools within the university. So getting a meeting space from them is a pretty big deal, and it's probably a good space for the team to prepare for DEFCON, although that wasn't top of mind with Zerotech.
1: DEF CON for me wasn't something that I like really learned the importance of until I think maybe sophomore year, or I guess like after I spent like more time with
0: PPP. It's worth noting that if you want to join PPP, you probably should just play it cool. Really, you should get to know the team members one-on-one, but you should also be really good at hacking. Also, not everyone in the team competes in the CTF at DEF CON.
1: By the time I got to go to DEF CON, I've like truly understood the importance Um, But I think like the like when I first joined the team, it wasn't because of like, oh, these are like the DEF CON guys. It was like more of like, oh, these are just very good CTFers in general.
0: There are other CTFs. In fact, there's probably one every week and there are other teams, hundreds of them. So how do the best teams get to compete at DEF CON each year? It starts with a round of qualifiers or quals in May or June. This is how the organizing committee determines who will be among the final contestants in July and August. However, the timing doesn't always work for college students.
1: Qualifiers is a little difficult sometimes because of the timing. Historically, the timing has usually overlapped with either graduation, move-outs, final exams, some of that combination. Uh, So historically for the students on the team, it's been difficult to participate. Now, that being said, that doesn't, of course, stop a lot of the students. A lot of the qualification rounds sometimes are played more heavily by the students that have graduated rather than the current students, which I think is like flip-flopped for most other CTFs. If the timing is right, then I think most people play. I think this year it actually worked out well particularly because of coronavirus, everyone was also home, so it wasn't like you had obligations to be out and
0: about. The live event at DEF CON is an intense 72-hour hacking spree, with maybe a dozen teams made up of students, industry workers, and government contractors all attempting to defend their own while breaking into each other's systems, each stealing virtual flags and accumulating points on a big board for all to see. On the second day, those points are hidden, and on the third day, even the team ranking is hidden, so the teams have no idea how they're doing relative to the others. In 2016, PPP competed against 16 teams from seven countries, some teams having about 100 members. But Zoratek says that having more team members doesn't necessarily mean you're more efficient or better.
1: When we're like working on problems, for instance, if you have like 100 people working on a single problem, there's like a bottleneck of how many people can efficiently work on that problem. But there's also the issue of you don't want people to be duplicating work, especially in something like DEF CON, where uh, you are dealing with many, many different problems, uh, some of which are live essentially, kind of because like they're attack defense. And so you need to be like watching like what's going on constantly. You really don't want to be duplicating work. So there is like a certain number of people that when you get past that, you start either having issues of like, people are duplicating work, or maybe you have some people that don't really know like what's going on or where they would fit in best. Um, and then that becomes like an issue for them as well because they don't feel like they're contributing much, right? And we want people to feel like they're contributing. For us, I think we're probably one of the smaller teams that usually attend DEFCON, if not one of the smallest consistently. I think we usually bring between 20 to 25, I think is usually like where we've been floating around the past couple of years. Uh, The reason for that is just because Uh, We found that number to be pretty good in terms of like, this is something where everyone that is attending is able to find something to do and to be very like efficient with what they're doing, such that we're like making good use of our time.
0: In the past, you had a team on the ground in Las Vegas, and you also had the ability to have remote team members. Of course, this year, everyone will be remote.
1: Remote contributions end up carving out like a chunk of a challenge and like, shipping it off to them and then having them work on it. I don't think we've had very much remote participation, mostly because it's also very hard to work on problems when you're not with the team. Why we're, I think, so effective at what we do is because of like that team camar- camaraderie. And then the way that we kind of decide these teams is how much... Effort have they been putting into CTFs? Like how much have they been participating? If they've been making CTF problems for Plaid CTF, uh, like have they historically also gone to DEF CON? Like if they have a lot of DEF CON experience, they're going to know exactly off, like right off the bat how to handle the DEF CON experience and to make good use of their time. Uh, newcomers typically will show up and, you know, maybe spend like a day or so adjusting to kind of figure out like where do they fit in. Because there's so many different things that you could do that is just indecisive factor of like, oh, I could fit in here or here, like, but where is like the best use of my time uh, for the team also. But yeah, and so that I think that's just like an overview of like how we have that team at finals.
0: Okay, so DEFCON is like the most crowded conference I have ever attended. And there are usually goons, these are volunteers, in the hallways just directing traffic and queuing up lines of people to enter certain rooms. And there are a lot of rooms. There are the talks, of course. There are the different villages, each with their own talks. And the vendor room. But there's also this big, big room that's usually hosting several competitions, all going on at once. The main competition is the CTF. And that's where you'll see the board with the teams, names, and any points they have, at least on day one. You'll also see various tables with team logos and colors, with various people staring at their sticker-covered laptops, each trying to ignore everyone staring back at them. Duratek says that's not the whole story.
1: For most of the teams, the tables are the tip of the iceberg. Some of the teams actually prefer not to be in the room. I think actually it's kind of a like inside joke that everyone absolutely hates that room because it's noisy. There's people that are coming and going that are watching you. It's kind of like, you know, an aquarium when you're the fish. And yeah, and there's loud music. And actually there was one year where they had just straight memes playing the whole time. So it's very distracting for people to be playing there. That being said, I think you need to have like at least one person there to kind of relay information and challenges to the rest of your team. I think how most teams have it set up is they buy a a suite in one of the hotels and they have it set up so that most of their team is there. That's at least also like what our team does. We have people on the floor that would be useful in terms of they're the captain of the team. So they can go and talk to the organizers if need be. People that maybe are senior are able to deal with like the noise and chaos of the downstairs area Um, and then also people that might be good with creating tools or pipelining information that is given to us. So for instance, usually sometimes we are given uh, packet captures, so network data. Some of our teammates are very, very, very good at creating tools that are able to efficiently take that network data and to kind of look through it very quickly to find important information, which might be flags or exploits being thrown at us or like other things. Those folks are also very good to have downstairs just because they are sitting in the area where that data is like being given. So we primarily use Slack to communicate. Kind of, we're also moving to Discord now that everything is kind of being remote, because we found that having only te- like text-only stuff is it's like pretty good. You know, if your team is like close to each other, or at least you're going to see each other like once in a while, like we are at Def CON. Discord, we found like in terms of like either seeing like having audio or video, is really good for like this sort of situation, or just you know, for the alumni who don't all live together to kind of give that team camaraderie, right? Because you can hear. Uh, teammates, you can speak with them. It's so much easier to communicate some stuff over audio, and it just like feels a lot more natural.
0: So really it's a question of being organized, using the resources that you have in the moment. So you not only have to know how to hack, but how to prioritize and deputize the members of your team.
1: Usually as soon as a challenge drops, we will send that information to our teammates in the suite, And then uh, people that are interested in picking up that challenge will say, I'm working on that challenge, just so everyone else knows. And, you know, you don't have 10 people dogpiling on the same challenge. We want to spread people out to make sure that we're looking at all the challenges and working on them. At night, they close off the area. So we all go back to the suite and we all work together. We'll usually get food and we'll... You know, I'll eat it together and we'll just group up based on like, you know, oh, I'm working on that challenge or uh, they're working on that challenge. And so people kind of group up and they work together. Um, and then when the next day comes, uh, we have like a battle plan of mind. We have our exploits that we want to throw. The people that go downstairs go downstairs and then they are the ones that also will do some of the throwing and whatnot. And the people upstairs will just keep working on the challenges.
0: When the teams first arrive in Las Vegas, they have some information for the CTF. But since it's also attack and defend, you can never be fully prepared. That means while they're solving their puzzles, another team or teams could be attacking them at the same time. So they have to defend themselves as well.
1: We do have some information. So DEFCON CTF has always been an attack defense CTF. The format of that sometimes slightly changes. Uh, They might throw in like some twist to it. Uh, But the core structure of it has always been attack defense. With that information in mind, we know that there are certain things. One is that we need uh, the ability to be able to watch whatever challenges or boxes that we're given to defend them properly. Uh, And the other is we need something to be able to throw attacks at uh, other competitors. In the case that we are given network captures of everything that's going into our boxes or challenges, we also need the ability to kind of quickly scan through those network captures and get information from them, as I mentioned before. So those are like the core things. Uh, other things that might you might find useful, for instance, are different types of exploits. Can we make tools that will make it a lot easier to, to uh, do those exploits?
0: With attack and defend, you need tools. You need to prepare something in advance, right?
1: We used to actually focus a lot of time on prepping tools. I think that is done less so now, now that we have a new set of organizers. Uh, The previous set of organizers would give a lot of packet captures, network data, and we made tools that were strongly targeted towards that. The new set of organizers don't really give uh, a lot of that information away. So we find it less useful to work on those sort of tools now. I think first year we made a lot of tools that were targeted towards that. And then the organizers didn't give any network captures and we were very, very, very sad because we spent a lot of time prepping for that. I think because of that, we're a little more hesitant on prepping tools that far in advance. Usually we would do this at the beginning of the summer, but because things are kind of like in flux, it's just really hard to put in a lot of work into something that you don't know if it'll pay off at all. I think one thing that we've had going is like a thrower box of some sort. I'm not really sure the details of this because some of the older folks on the team have set it up one of the first times they went to DEF CON and have been using ever since. But it's just like uh, essentially some setup that allows us to quickly like throw exploits at other teams as soon as we know what we want to throw. I think it's been like everything from some Decked out MacBook, if I or PowerBook, if I'm not mistaken, which had like these crazy lights on the back or something, and probably looked fantastic. I think we stopped bringing that. I'm not sure why, but it was pretty cool. Nowadays, I think we just bring a NUC or something, like a small like computer. Yeah, I kind of wish we went back to the lights. Honestly, like that sounds pretty cool.
0: Being on a CTF team at DEF CON is all consuming. I can only imagine. I'm able to go to the talks, meet up with friends, and do some fun stuff. But if you're on a CTF team,
1: I have never done anything outside the CTF at DEF CON. And I've been three times, I think. I'm sure many of my other teammates, I'm pretty sure, are in the same boat. The most that I've experienced is sitting on the CTF floor and then hearing the other competitions going on or maybe walking by the tinfoil hack contest or the hack hack fortress uh, events. It's a little unfortunate because, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff there. But realistically, I think like if we are doing the CTF, we are doing the CTF and we are going to put like all our focus in on that. And if you need a break and you want to like go do something else for a little bit, that's fine. But I think like everyone on the team is like super dedicated to doing their best on the CTF. Um, and so every, I think most people just spend their whole time doing that.
0: Zoratek has since graduated from CMU. She's out in the real world today, but she's still competing with PPP.
1: I think like jokingly, we all say like what uh, PPP for life, as you get older and you move away from college, you have, you know, in college, you have your classes, your homework and assignments and whatever. You can kind of like do those quickly or, you know, shove them aside and procrastinate and then do CTFs all weekend. You know, as you uh, graduate from college and you now are like in a workforce and, you know, you have like an actual life, I guess, once again, it becomes a little more difficult to do CTFs. And especially because, you know, you're not with your friends and your teammates and it's just it feels a little lonely sometimes. And it becomes a lot more hard to communicate more complex ideas, especially when you're working on challenges. That being said, I think everyone on the team is like super excited to be on the team. I think the knowledge that we learn is incredible. The friendships that we have on the team are also like great. And I think everyone is just like super excited to play DEF CON. Like, even if they maybe don't show up to CTFs super often during the year, DEF CON is like the one thing that everyone is usually like, okay, we're going to go and do like super well and meet up and stuff. Also, because we get to see each other like at least once a year, the other time being Plot CTF, uh, the CTF that we run. But yeah. And I think things like Discord and anything else that, you know, involves audio and video has been like helping a lot. It makes people a lot more interested in playing because they can see their teammates and they can, you know, hack pretty efficiently.
0: Given her experience, Erotek has some advice for those just starting out.
1: I'd say if it's like their first time going into DEF CON and they're going into an established team, I think the hardest thing for the beginners is figuring out where do they fit in because you show up and you have a team of, I don't know, anywhere from 20 our team or like 80 like some of the Chinese teams and it's just I am someone that wants to contribute. I want to do something that, you know, gets a flag, that solves a challenge or something. So I can feel good about what I'm doing. I can feel like I'm contributing to the team. And a lot of People that come their first time kind of struggle, I think, in figuring out what exactly that is. Uh, I definitely did. And I think it took me by my second time, I kind of felt a more like more so like I know exactly like where I fit in best. But yeah, I think just having the patience to do that, communicating with your teammates is like super, super important, because if you're just sitting there just like not sure what to do and you don't say anything to your teammates, you're going to be miserable the whole time. And because no one's going to know that you have no idea what you're doing, right? I can definitely say like my teammates, if I ran out of things to do, my teammates, I'll just say like, hey, do you need help? And my teammates will be like, yeah, I could use some help on this or this or this or just like come join me on the venture of this challenge or whatnot. And that makes it a lot more fun. And I feel like I learn a lot more. Uh, so kind of just like, you know, being patient, uh, communicating and then like humbling yourself if you don't know something then you can just sit in with someone else, uh, but like you need to tell people that that you're not, you're struggling and you need to find things to do. But yeah, I think those are the most important things for a beginner.
0: And has any of this CTF experience helped Zerotek in the real world?
1: Uh, I'll talk a bit about I guess the security community in general. Things that I see in the security community, things like bug bounties that people have uh, done. Uh, exploits that people have found uh, on the news, on Twitter, on whatever, those things, when I go and I like open and I read about what people did, I'm just like, man, that sounds like a CTF problem, right? Because, you know, a lot of the things that we do strongly apply to what people do in real life. Web exploitation, I think, is huge, especially for bug bounties, because a lot of bug bounties are usually like web applications. And... You know, they're very difficult and you don't have an end goal. But if you have enough practice with web exploitation and CTFs, you might be able to find uh, certain things or apply, you know, certain types of vulnerabilities that you found in CTFs to that problem and find bugs and get paid for them. And then just other things like, you know, crazy things that you see in the news that maybe aren't necessarily bug bounties, but, you know, some hacker... Like, broke this or took advantage of that. As a CTFer, you might be like, oh, that was like some type of vulnerability or technique that I saw in a CTF. Um, and a lot of those, like, new vulnerabilities that researchers find get reapplied back to CTF. So, a lot of the really difficult CTFs will actually use zero days or one days that are found by these researchers to create CTF problems. And that's how they make it really hard because they're basically saying, here is literally this real world thing. And I want you to find a vulnerability in it. And that's how they make it really hard. It, it is CTFs are very important to real life work, but I think real life work is also very important back um, to get better at CTFs as well. There's kind of like you need to get good at both. And by hopping between them, you can improve yourself at both of them.
0: I'd like to give a special shout out to Zoratek for sharing her experience with the world's greatest hacking team, PPP. And not only are they competing at DEF CON this year, but they're also competing at Hackasat, a a global competition to hack satellites in orbit. This is definitely something we're going to cover in another episode. Until then, I remain still sheltering in place. Robert Vimosi for The Hacker Mind.